Hi, my name's Sarah. And I'm Alex. And it's good to have you with us in the second episode of EUR Unfiltered. We're here to normalize the conversation on mental health. Today, we're going to explore the topic of drug use and abuse. We're diving into the kinds of drugs students use and how often that happens. We'll talk about what these things do to your body and your brain, and we'll discuss the line between recreational and problematic. And since we're here to have an open and honest conversation, we'll supply you with a few tips on how you can minimize risks when trying something out, and how to keep you and your friends as safe as possible. And just like last time, we'll do so with a couple of guests who know a lot about the topic. Today, we'll be talking to Wellbeing Project lead Yelmer Muis, Associate Professor in Addiction Specialist Jana Kuzain, and Student Psychologist and Addiction Therapist Gosia Tsubolska. Our first guest today is Yelmer Maus, project lead at Student Wellbeing, who will be sharing some insights on what is happening on campus right now when it comes to substance use. So welcome, Yelmer. Thank you. So when it comes to substance abuse, I think there's been, or use really, there's been a lot of research the past couple of years. What are the trends that we are seeing with students in general, so in, in our country? Well, in general, we see a lot of um, increase in substance use overall. And of course, you can say, when does it become abuse? But yeah, we have uh, numbers that are alarming about that. Yeah. So could you share some of those numbers that make you say, oof? Yeah. So um, these numbers are from uh, 2021 spring from the National Monitor by uh, RVM and uh, Trimbos Institute. And it showed us actually that overall students in the Netherlands are uh, using uh, quite a lot of um, uh, substances. Also other um, addiction behavior such as gaming uh, is alarming. And we also saw that within the Dutch population, EOR students are using actually above average substances. Yeah. So if we're talking substances, what are we using? Well, alcohol, of course. So that's uh, still the main uh, problem. Uh, that's actually just as alarming here as it is uh, in the rest of the Netherlands. But at EUR, we see uh, more uh, ecstasy abuse. We see more sleeping uh, AIDS abuse and also the same for uh, concentration enhancing drugs. Yeah. So okay. in general, uppers and downers yes. are uh, <laughs> a bigger concentration mm-hmm. at our university. Yeah. Also off prescription use of uh, concentration medication in that case, so Ritalin and yeah. Concerta. Yeah. And I'm assuming the sleeping medication is also off-label. This is all off-label indeed, yes. It's very interesting then that compared to other universities in the Netherlands that the EUR has the highest percentages. Uh, can you think of some reasons why we see a greater amount of usage over here than at other places? Yeah, it's probably easier to get drugs here. Yeah, more normalized. Yeah, I just wanted to say maybe normalization also plays a role in the fact that it's very easily accessible over here as well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting also because looking at the well-being monitor that was taken in 2021, if I'm saying it correctly, um, there were about 15, almost 1600 students that responded to this uh, monitor. And uh, what was quite shocking is that of these people that responded, 31% uses cocaine and 52%, so more than half of the people use substances such as MDMA and ecstasy. And then adding to that, 39% uses like psychedelics, hallucinogens. That's also kind of um, shocking maybe, or would you say that it isn't shocking looking at the the Trimbos and RAVM. Uh, well, I think monitor. those numbers are maybe even uh, better telling us the the real story. And yes, that's very shocking. And this was also just uh, when COVID was about uh, finished, but still a real thing at that moment. 
so you can imagine that it wasn't even uh, the highest number um, overall. Yeah, because I think there's also been some trends visible pre-COVID, after COVID, when exactly, it comes to, for example, yeah. cannabis use. Or I think, if I remember correctly, the cannabis use actually dropped once the lockdown was over. But uh, MDMA and ecstasy use actually increased after the lockdown period. Is that something you also saw in the the bigger uh, monitor for the RAVM? Well, we 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 uh, we get those results this uh, fall, so okay. we don't know yet. Yeah, we are very much curious about um, those results. Yes, also because uh, it's a whole different period post COVID. Definitely. Than within COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, students are experimenting with drugs, and I think that to a certain extent it might be shocking, but to a certain extent. Very normal in this phase of life to, you know, want to try out something uh, and and doing cocaine once doesn't make you an addict. It's just something is all good and fun, but there might also be issues here and there. So what are we doing to provide better care or better resources on campus so that students know what they're doing? Yeah, we have a collaboration uh, going on with Use Antes uh, Addiction Care uh, here in uh, Rotterdam. Um, and with them, we are looking for any kind of solutions uh, to tackle these problems. And of course, it's a, it's a huge problem that goes way above university, way above uh, municipality. But still, yeah, we try to do anything we can. We installed a, a health coach uh, in collaboration with the municipality, actually. Uh, and the health coach is going to be here uh, four hours per week uh, from September on. And what do you think is... Is, is there more necessary? What do we do need to do on a central level, for instance, to help students make educated decisions on substance abuse or yeah. use? I think the core of the problem is, well, how easy is it to get it? Uh, how normal is it to use it? So those things you have to tackle. Well, the first question is something for the police, uh, which <laughs> is not really our domain. Uh, but yeah, we can... Uh, try as, as best as we can to um, let students make this decision for themselves to really learn how to say no. So circling back to looking at what the student body, uh, specifically at the at the UR, is using uh, when it comes to party drugs, uh, we actually went around during the Eureka Week in August 2023, uh, that's the introduction week of the university, um, to see a little bit what students think when it comes to these, um, well, I guess what's found normal. And we spoke to one guy and he told us uh, the following. Hi, I'm Tim. Uh, what drugs do you think students use, if any? Uh, I reckon it depends on the event. If there's festivals and such, I think MD and ecstasy uh, suits the vibe more. But it also depends yeah, where you're doing it. So you could be outside in a festival or you could be in some bunker in Amsterdam where there's probably a lot of coke used. So. so MDMA, ecstasy and depending on the vibe, perhaps cocaine. Yeah. What is your uh, reaction to this, Yelmer? Well, I think you, you can hear the normalization in this, right? He uh, He's very... He's n- not... Uh, he's very chill about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> very chill about it. Like, yeah, this happens. Uh, yeah. Depending on the vibe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I think it's very normalized in Dutch culture that when you go to a festival, you pop a pill. Or, you know, when yeah. you go to the park with your friends, you smoke a joint because that's what you do when you get together. Or exactly. when there's a barbecue, you drink a buttload of alcohol. Uh, I, I think that part of the problem is that it's so normalized and we're so yeah. casual about it. Whereas if you were to do this in, I don't know, Thailand, you'd be in jail for life. Well, <laughs> and even 10 years ago here, it's people w- would be very shocked. And like we're talking about this now and we're also not shocked anymore. 
right? It doesn't surprise me at all. No. no. No, and also when you when you take a look at whether it's used recreationally or for other purposes, because it sounds like this guy is, you know, talking more about the, the party scene, you know, taking drugs for fun. Um, there's also people that may be taking certain substances or drinking a lot of alcohol in order to cope with stress or not feel anything. Mm -hmm. um, so we also asked another uh, student that was during, uh, that was here during the Eureka week, and we asked him, are drugs um, a way to cope with stress? And this was his response. I think that it sometimes is. Um, I've done it myself every now and then. Um, I hate to admit it, but it's what it is. Um, but um, I don't necessarily think it's a, a good way. Um, every now and then, sure, um, as long as it doesn't become a habit. But there are obviously much healthier alternatives. You know, just going for a run. You know, going to karaoke and screaming your lungs out. You know, there, there are other ways. Um, but yeah, it definitely is, unfortunately. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, um, well, uh, sort of the normalization, but then in another way, like, he is sort of uh, excusing himself that he that he's doing it and he knows there are better ways, but he's still doing it. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, again, those two basic things, it's for him probably way too easy to get it. And it's probably, uh, yes, it's a normal thing to do, right? So uh, he knows that going for a run might help as well. But yeah, this is easier. Yeah, so the awareness is there, but there's yeah. still something missing between the awareness stage and the action stage. Exactly. Uh, not actually doing the other yeah. the other ways to cope. And to you cope can hear stress. he's a bit ashamed about it. And I think he's probably euphemizing the amount he's doing probably as well. So yeah, uh, it's actually quite a good example, I think, for how big the problem maybe is. Well, Yelmer, thank you so much for talking to us today. And um, it was nice having you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. So with us today is Jano Kuzijn, Associate Professor at the ESSB, the Department of Clinical Psychology. Hi, Jana. Hi. Uh, so today we're talking uh, drugs, alcohol, addiction, and everything that comes with it. So could we start off by explaining how addiction really works? Well, there is a lot of discussion about the definition of addiction, and some people say it has to do with frequency, so you have to use multiple times a day to be addicted. And some say it's more than that, and it's actually loss of control. And let's say for now we're starting with um, the clinical definition, and then we go to the DSM, uh, the DSM-5 to be correct. And there are 11 criteria, and you need to meet at least two to be considered an addict. And these criteria, they um, differ from uh, having no control over your use, from craving, from having uh, social problems with your use, but also the physical dependence. So you can be an addict without physical dependence, but physical dependence can also be core of your addiction. So there are a lot of varieties in what addiction is, and the core is not being able to control your use. And a chronic pattern of use uh, emerges that's very difficult to treat. Yeah, so just having two out of those 11 criteria makes you eligible to be an addict, really. Um, but that might mean that there's a lot of different ways that addiction can look like, right? Exactly. So what are some things that... that are you know addiction related that we can hone in on and say hey that might be an issue 
Well, if you look at young people and the developing brain, you could see that social factors play a way bigger role uh, in addiction-related processes than, for example, in um, in older people or well, just adults, but they all share a common feature and that's the loss of control regardless of the type of drugs or um, the situation uh, you're in. At a, uh, after, over time, like the more you use, uh, a pattern emerges where you will experience these strong cravings over your use and then start to escalate. And these cravings trigger use again and again and again. And if we're looking at DSM, like what are typical signs of addiction in people in general? So uh, psychosocial problems like your family and friends telling you multiple times uh, to quit or that they experience problems from your use and you're not doing anything with it. Uh, craving is a criterion. Um, not able be to control unless a wish to reduce or quit. Um, harmful behavior, despite you being aware of the negative consequences, um, and the physical part where you experience withdrawal symptoms after you're not, uh, after you didn't use for a while, um, are also part of it. Yeah. And, and are, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what did you want to say, Alex? Uh, are, are these um, symptoms the same for every type of addiction, or do they differ from? substance to substance they're the same okay. yeah it's a it's a core set of symptoms um and they're the same and also some shared with uh, behavioral addictions um like gambling or internet addiction or gaming or pornography yeah. or exactly yeah because what can you be addicted to is can you be addicted to peanut butter and to candy or can you also just are there specific things that you can be addicted to and other things that are just a strong like to use it or to take it. Yeah, I think the definition of addiction differs a lot in our language. So when we say we're addicted to chocolate, we mean something totally different than when we say we're addicted to heroin. And even within the realm of substances, when we say uh, we're addicted or I'm addicted to to cannabis, might pe people might think, oh, this is this is someone who uses daily and if you think about heroin uh, or cocaine then some might even say like yeah if you use it once a week then that's already a sign of an addiction because we uh, our own perceptions of severity of use are kind of calculated into the definition of addiction uh, but according to the dsm it's it's all like frequency plays a role you have to of course use a lot otherwise you're not in that situation um, but the criteria themselves do not pertain to necessarily the frequency. It could pertain to needing to use more um, and more and more to uh, reach the same effects. But someone who uses, let's say, once a day can be addicted, but also someone who uses multiple times a day cannot fulfill these criteria. It's very different. Yep. And um, when you say, you know, people saying an addiction to chocolate is different and it's not really the same type of addiction does it have to do with what goes on in the brain or that it's a different region and it's more linked to pleasure and in that sense is less harmful than you know being addicted to heroin for example i find this a very very difficult question but maybe um, there's a parallel or an example like if we look at people who smoke cigarettes and we would suddenly ban cigarettes then a lot of the people who smoke right now would not smoke anymore and the people who are left are actually those who would go cross borders to get the cigarettes and maybe those are kind of the same as um, the people who are uh, uh, who are suffering from a cocaine use disorder or uh, heroin use disorder 
Um, and if we talk about chocolates, there, of course, there must be people that really, really, really suffer from their own use and use so much and they, they uh, do not fulfill the social obligations anymore. That, there's a possibility that it exists, of course, and this goes for a lot of different behaviors. And for some substances, it's more common that you lose control mm -hmm. than for others. And that's... I think uh, an example of how to put it, yeah. And which substances would those include? The ones where it's easier to get uh, addicted to them? Um, cocaine, for sure. Um, and opiates. Opiates are very uh, much... Uh, well, they have a high potency to trigger an addiction. Um, and cannabis, for example, uh, has less potency. Um, um, it's less addictive than other substances, but the more people are using it, of course, also the more addicts you get in the end. So the more a substance is normalized, the more frequent or maybe addicted users you might have. Maybe it's more like the more um, a heavy use is normalized. Okay. The more people that suffer from addiction um, might emerge. Um, but it also depends, like, psychosocial problems play a big role in, it, in, in the problems someone with an addiction would suffer from. Um, and if your environment is very positive about drugs, then you might not even get, like, negative feedback on your behavior. And you can function quite normally with a high amount of use because it's normalized. Yeah, like, I can't sleep, so I'll smoke some weed because my friends offered it to me and it works. And now that's normal and I do that every day and I actually yeah. can't sleep without it. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. and your friends might not see it as a problem um, and you might function for a while um, and then you start to need it to sleep and then you start to need it to numb your, your depressive feelings um, and an addiction can definitely develop, uh, at least not being able to stop it anymore and to function normally without uh, smoking cannabis. And does the same go for um, party drugs like MDMA, ecstasy, that if you go to a party and you feel like you can only enjoy or be in the moment when you take those substances, does that fall under a same type of addiction or is that again um, similar to the, the chocolate question? I think it's similar to the chocolate question, but every substance has its own potential to trigger addiction. And if we look at the harms of substances, then uh, addiction is part of it, but it's not necessarily the core. And uh, while addiction to, uh, to ecstasy or party drugs is less common, it doesn't mean that it comes without harms. Yeah, and you mentioned it um, previously, um, you know, the your surrounding environment, if you have a lot of friends that are normalizing a certain type of use or behavior, um, could you maybe tell us a little bit more about the role an environmental or social triggers play in substance use and addiction in general? Yeah, so a lot of factors contribute to how much and how often people are using and uh, if they would develop symptoms. Uh, so this, this could be genetics, this could be social factors, this could be some other uh, behavioral indices. Um, and if we look at the developing brain, then we know that social factors play a massive role uh, for youth and for young adults, so also the students. Uh, age and way more so than um, in older individuals and social factors may be specific triggers for this age group that really triggers like the feeling of belonging together um, so it has positive consequences right if you're connected to your friends if you feel that uh, this bond becomes stronger because you're using together um, 
Um, and for, for uh, slightly older people, it might be like to escape reality or to escape feelings of depression. And how about peer pressure in, in this interaction? How does that influence uh, substance use and addiction? I think um, the use of your friends is the strongest predictor of your own use um, when you're young. And this definitely has to do with peer pressure. And it not only uh, pertains to substance use, but to a lot of risky behaviors that uh, developing individuals engage in. And taking risk is part of healthy uh, development as well. I think that we're working with an age group, like our students are generally somewhere between 18 and 25, give or take. Uh, for your brain, that's that's quite a huge milestone of development, especially for your prefrontal cortex, um, where we don't really see maybe the consequences of everything we're doing and it's just fun and ex experimenting, which is cool. Do that, don't worry. But what's the tipping point for some people? What goes wrong? So for everyone, this can be something different. But if we look at the risk factors of why we think the developing brain is more sensitive to developing addiction, then one thing is indeed cognitive control. And cognitive control or attention-related processes, actually, uh, the young brain is super fit in many aspects. And, and for studying, this is the optimal period. But it's also extremely sensitive for socially um, and, and rewarding, distracting triggers that kind of uh, it's difficult to say no and um, weighing long-term consequences into current behavior is slightly more difficult for this age group than uh, when you're older so that's one part also when the brain is developing you think like adding some uh, toxic substance to it um, also has more capacity to destroy things so that's another uh, idea of why the young brain would be more vul uh, vulnerable and if you are in an environment that really stimulates uh, heavy substance use then uh, that's a risk factor for you also engaging in that type of behavior and for um, people that are you know experimenting with um, party drugs or even just drinking alcohol on a night out um, do you have some tips and advice so that these people can um, use these substances responsibly yeah there are many tips and also there is a lot of information available online uh, for example on drug info uh, but it's good to know that drug use never is 100 safe so Having said that, uh, I think um, with a group of friends, it's important to talk about drug use together and to talk about expectations, to talk about what people want and don't want and share during an evening the responsibility of keeping an eye out on each other. Um, and you can also, for example, for, for some party drugs, you can test them uh, for, for contents in Rotterdam. There are multiple options. Uh, a lot of major cities have that. Uh, for free. Um, so that's a great tip um, if you want to use responsibly. Um, and yeah, I would recommend not going past your own limits, but that's really difficult. So ask your friends, um, ask them to really uh, give signals um, if you're close to your lip, uh, limits, uh, for example. So if you're unhappy and not feeling well, uh, having a bad mood, then drug use is never a solution. And uh, many drugs can uh, also uh, strengthen these feelings and can cause a bad trip. So if you're not feeling well, then that's definitely a moment where you should say maybe no to not do it that night or that week. And make sure that you feel okay and positively in your skin. 
Uh, but it's very difficult to predict who will experience what. And even when you test your ecstasy, um, um, negative consequences can still occur. Yeah. So no drug is completely safe. There will always be risks involved. But as long as you talk to your friends, communicate about your boundaries, watch your friends uh, and know that you're doing this from a good mindset. It might be a very fun experience. It might also be an experience where you notice, hey, this is not for me, uh, which is also all right. Thank you, Jana, for your input. Just a last thing, because you already mentioned that getting your drugs tested. If that's something that you're interested in in Rotterdam, you can do this at Use, which is located at the Pieter de Hoogweg 14 in Rotterdam. Every Thursday, they have a walk-in hour from 5.30 until 7. And a week later, you'll get the results about your drugs so you know that they're safer to use. Thank you, Jana. You're welcome. So with us today in the studio, we also have Gasha Sebuska, who is a student psychologist at Erasmus University, uh, one of our colleagues. And she also works as a psychologist in the addiction um, healthcare. And she's going to tell us a little bit more about uh, what addiction uh, does and also breaking some of the, the myths that people tend to have when it comes to substance use. So Gasha, welcome today. Thank you. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about um, how we can recognize the, the tell signs in ourselves and our friends when it comes to addiction? I think one of the most important distinctions that you can make is when substance abuse uh, becomes problematic and it has impact on your daily functioning. So that can ma mean many different things. Some people change their day-night rhythm, so maybe they start to sleep less or sleep more. Maybe they have trouble uh, getting up on time for the lectures or classes. Um, but maybe also their eating habits change. Um, maybe they are uh, isolating themselves a bit more than usual. But But if you notice that someone is not being themselves, it's often a good sign. Uh, if you're concerned, come talk to someone, either your uh, first contact doctor or us. We are here for you guys. So uh, don't be afraid to also ask questions. There might be a funny story behind it, maybe a sad story behind it. But if you really care about your friends or if you think you need support, just go for it. Yeah, because I feel like there is quite a taboo, obviously, um, when it comes to admitting it yourself, um, when you find yourself longing for a certain type of a drug, a party drug, be it or cannabis or that's one cigarette or that one drink in the evening. Um, and I feel like a lot of people engage in this behavior thinking it's normal because a lot of people around them do it, that you kind of lose track of what is normal and what is actually becoming risky behavior. What are your thoughts on that? That's right. So on one hand, it definitely is part of the phase in your life when you're experimenting and checking what your boundaries are. But the other part is sometimes you just do things without really thinking about them. So you might be impulsive and you might try substances with people you don't really know or you don't know what the substance actually is. So it's good to realize that um, There, there should be maybe a certain golden standard for yourself or, or something, uh, some kind of rule that you apply to yourself when doing this kind of things. But problematic substance use doesn't indeed mean that you're addicted or addicted yet. It just means that, well, things are happening to you right now and you might be looking for answers in the wrong places. Um, touching on another subject, you work in mental health care that specializes in addiction care as well. 
Do you see certain trends for the age and educational group that is university students? What I often notice in practice is that a lot of people who are smoking marijuana uh, might have symptoms that are uh, maybe similar to having concentration problems or a lot of noise in their head. They say some of the students might actually have ADHD or ADD and they don't know it, but they have a need to calm down. So what they do, they decide, oh, well, smoking calms me down and this becomes a substance of choice in a way. Uh, and they often say, well, it's as if I need it, I'm complete with it, right? So. In this kind of situations, we speak of self-medication uh, and there might be a different answer for it indeed. Maybe it is ADHD that you're having and you don't know about it. Uh, maybe it's trauma or something else that you're trying to push down. Maybe it's nothing. We don't know, of course. Uh, but yes, there are definitely certain patterns that emerge with certain substances. Yeah, might also be higher IQ. So your brain is functioning at a very definitely. strong and fast level and you want to, you know, slow down a bit and just sit on the couch and relax right and it starts out quite innocently until you can't relax without using that right exactly and that's i think another sign of problematic use that we talked about that in the beginning when you decide to engage in a substance it's just one of the fun alternatives but at some point everything you want to do is leading towards your substance of choice And that's something that you might also notice for yourself. Your life actually gets a bit more boring. Maybe you're even frustrated because you are looking for the reasons to use. So if you also notice something like that, it's another signal of, hey, mm -hmm, something is going on here. Mm -hmm, that you can't have fun without it. Right. Or be yourself. You know, some people, they need a few drinks before they can open up in a social gathering yeah. environment. But it sounds like um, a very root um, cause of addiction or a catalyst for addiction is dependency that as soon as you start to depend on a certain substance to to bring you somewhere to make a certain situation better then you're in trouble maybe exactly <laughs> during the introduction week of the university Eureka Week, uh, we actually went around and we asked some uh, upcoming students their thoughts on substance use so we actually asked them one question and that was how many drinks um, do you need to consume weekly to be considered a heavy drinker? Uh, and so we got a different um, response from different students. So we'll just play them and then you can tell us uh, what you think about it. So hi, I'm Vicky. I think that like even if someone drinks like more than one or two drinks a week, that counts as like a heavy drinking because like one drink is fine, I think, but not more than that. So one is okay in a week but two um for this student um is considered a heavy drinking but then we also spoke to a different student and this is what he had to say hi i'm frane i'm a master student at rsm um, i think you're a heavy drinker if you need alcohol in order to enjoy yourself and you go out and i'd say that's anywhere between three to four drinks per night just like to enjoy yourself and like kind of be yourself um, and you need alcohol to be yourself really so yeah so he was actually a, a master student not an upcoming student but you can already see quite quite a difference in response so Gosha what, what do you have to say uh, about these responses yeah I find this perspective is very interesting I wouldn't say that uh, one to two drinks a week is considered to be heavy drinking um, I also don't really like the term indeed heavy drinking because it implies that um, some people are drinking lightly, but they might still have a problem because it's very personal, right? But um, what's good to know is actually if you're addicted, 
you know, one drink is too many and a thousand is never enough. So uh, from a healthy person perspective for students, I would not worry about one or two drinks unless you're really recovering from an addiction. Um, And what the second speaker said, I would say is actually quite accurate. And what if it's not um, like three or four drinks a day, but let's say in a week you'd have maybe 12 12 drinks like is there a cutoff line that you can tell yourself okay well I'm drinking 10 a week so I'm good or oh no I'm drinking 13 so I must seek help like where's the cutoff when it comes to this right so I think if you're already telling yourself things that oh I'm good well maybe you're looking for excuses or something is happening there um, I would say if you're drinking more often than not, then that says something. If you cannot imagine certain activities without drinking, it also says something. Um, and also if that becomes the primary source of pleasure in your life, right? So without mm-hmm. alcohol, what's the, what's the point? What's the Yeah, fun? and it's also like um, this one student mentioned in the fragment that it's, uh, you know, when it's a part of the fun experience, when it's something you really need to wind down, then, um, then that could also be problematic. You should also be able to enjoy yourself without needing uh, the substances to begin with. Exactly, yeah. And you can also enjoy yourself with substances, right? So I think uh, everything in moderation, that's really uh, the take-home message, I believe. And if it's not in moderation, hey, even if it's water, it's going to be problematic. And it's good to just admit it to yourself, first Mm -hmm. and foremost. So now on the topic of alcohol uh, use, we also went uh, around asking the question, do you believe that uh, alcohol use is an important Uh, part of student life and so here are what the students had to say when it came to this question Uh, for me it isn't because I stopped drinking uh, at the beginning of this year yeah (laughs) yay to me and I feel so much better and I'm I feel like it's not a part I I feel like people think it is but it doesn't have to be and I'm just starting to uh, explore life without alcohol and it's for me it's uh, better so that's a very interesting uh And also quite surprising um, fragment to hear, you know, to um, discover what that's like as well. And uh, then we also spoke to another student who um, had a similar response. Hi, I'm Diana. Um, I don't think it's like a key part of the student social life. I feel like it depends on the person. For example, for me, I don't really need to have fun with like alcohol. But for some people, it can like, um, like ease the nerves of being in a social circle. So I feel like it generally depends on the person. For someone, it could be like a key part of student social life. So it sounds like for some people, it, it is a key. And for other people, they, they thought it was a key to their social life. But once they discover um, the fun they're having without it, that it, it no longer seems to be at the core of, of social life. What do you guys have to say about that? Well, I think this diverts from the idea that people generally have of students. They think students they drink a lot you know there's beer culture and every campus has its own little bar where you can you know get your drinks and after you had an exam you go get a drink and uh, if you live in a frat house you drink (laughs) so these two girls show a different world and I think it's good to realize that you don't necessarily need alcohol it's not a key part of student life it's just that when you're in this life phase uh, a lot of experimenting goes on and finding where your boundaries lie. I think that's more the core part of it than just using alcohol for the sake of using alcohol. Well, Gasha, thank you so much for coming in today and telling a little bit more about addiction and, um, well, kind of addressing uh, what students 
think about alcohol use in general. Thank you for having me. Today we've touched on various interesting topics around substance use. We've talked about the usage of drugs and alcohol by our students and identified some trends. We've learned how addiction works in your body and your brain and what certain signs of addiction might be. We've also zoomed in on the role of social and environmental triggers. And lastly, we went into a healthcare perspective discussing how to ask for help and what to do if you think a friend might need some assistance. We've also discussed some student views on the matter. So, putting it all together. Experimenting with drugs and alcohol is something that is, to a certain extent, normal in this phase of life. But do realize that no substance is risk-free. Learn to identify what can go wrong and get your drugs tested. Ask for help if needed and speak up if one of your friends might be crossing the line between recreational and problematic. Set strong boundaries for yourself and communicate those to the people around you so everyone can have a good time. Thank you so much for listening. We'll hope you tune in next time. <laughs>